and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today we are reviewing a film that is based on a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, the 2019 film The Goldfinch. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Sure. 13-year-old New Yorker Theo Decker's life is turned upside down when his mother is killed in a terrorist attack at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Confused in the rubble of the tragedy, he steals a priceless piece of art known as the Goldfinch. That's pretty accurate. Uh, Yeah. Backstory, Sarah and I were browsing through the films that were coming out uh, this fall, and we saw this one. And our first thought was, I think our first conversation around this was like, wow, that's a heavy premise. Okay. (laughs) But we're both big lovers of moody dramas and don't shy away from those. So alas, we went to go see The Goldfinch. Uh, So let's start off before we dive into talking about this film, our own summaries of The Goldfinch. And I think it'll give away a little bit of our sentiments about this film. (laughs) (laughs) yeah I know mine does yeah mine definitely does okay take it away a film about a lost boy with a lost painting that lost itself (laughs) that is so good very accurate (laughs) you know when you were reading your summary the first little bit I was like okay this is pretty neutral pretty neutral pretty neutral and Mm -hmm. then and then you you popped in that kicker at the end yep so mine is, the goldfinch proves that is is in fact possible to have a moody drama be far too moody and far too stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think it was possible, but alas, here we are. Two hours and 29 minutes of just really stuffy, really heavy-handed drama. So Sarah, what were your initial thoughts of the goldfinch? And what what did you expect or think it could have been knowing the premise going into this film did you have any expectations for it I really didn't know what to expect um I I thought that it was going to be like you said like a moody drama I thought that it would be like a boy like working through his grief uh because all I knew was that it was about a kid whose mom got blown up at the Met. Like, that's it. I had no other information because I didn't research this going into it. Um, and then seeing the cast, like I was really excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I was like, okay, we're going to get some great performances in here. So, you know, it can't be that bad. It'll probably be like Oscar bait, you know, just, just the mm-hmm. usual. Um, and I, I so wanted to like this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I liked a lot of it. Um, I was telling a friend about it earlier today, and I was like, they did everything right except for the story. Like, mm-hmm. I there, there's a point in the middle um, where we're following Theo's life, and he moves to Las Vegas. And it was in that middle part when we were in Las Vegas, and I just looked around and I went, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> I, I genuinely feel like the story got lost uh, yes. in itself. Yes. And so to me, this was a movie that could have been 30 minutes shorter and it would have been so much better. Um, 
So I wanted to like it. I tried to like it. There were so many things that they did right, but the story just didn't live up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I actually, I walked out of the theater thinking to myself, this, this film isn't a total flop. There are some dramas that just are, they've gone completely off the, the path and you're just wondering what the heck happened. And I, there were so many things I did not enjoy about this film, but it had a lot of the right components. It had a lot of the right pieces at play. They just didn't, it didn't land well. Partially it's the pacing, which I'm sure we'll dive into at some point. Uh, the length is way too long. We, we, we kind of are just slowly thumping away in that middle section. But I think also the the attempt to try and cover all of these big themes also shot the film shot itself in the foot as well because it just inherently in a two hour and 30 minute movie it's difficult to capture and convey all of these really heavy complex themes and do them well and so it kind of felt like we we're flitting around in all of these different areas these different genres these different plot points and themes and none of them were done well but there was hope for this I, I felt like it had a lot of the pieces that could have made it really awesome. And I, I, I too went into this with high hopes. We, it's been after a summer of blockbusters and just lots of action films and really lighthearted films. I was kind of ready for a really solid drama to take us into the colder weather of the fall. And from the movie poster, the kind of ballsy premise that this film had, it had, it had hope. Uh, and then I, I went into this film knowing that the reviews were not doing great for it. And I just went, oh, gosh, it's going to be two hours and a half of a lot. So <laughs> I kind of mentally prepared myself a little bit. But you're right. There were a lot that could have been reworked to be very effective. And I'm excited to dive into some of those together with you. We We often do this with films we didn't love. We like to think about how we would have changed them and rewrite them together on the podcast. And it's always fun to kind of think through and explore what could have been and what uh, pieces could have fit together better. So it'll be fun. And I think what's particularly disappointing about this film, like you said, like it wasn't that it was a complete flop. Like they did so much right and they did so much well and it just, it didn't come together in the end. And mm -hmm. that's just frustrating when you're like, ah, you were so close. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's really fascinating too, that this film is based on a novel. Uh, you think that there, inher that inherently would help make that plot feel more engaging and more thought out. I mean, this, this is this is a film adaptation of a of a novel that has done incredibly well, uh, but I think inherently when when you're taking a novel to the big screen, there are things that work really well um, in the form of the novel that you can explore inner thoughts. You can you can have the time to draw things out and really sit with the characters, and you have that time at at your disposal. And inherently, I think in a film context, you kind of have to pick and choose. And I th if, if they had done that and chosen to leave certain side plots out or kind of skip through parts in montage or skip through in a, even in our very f amazing artistic way um, so that we are still continuing to keep that momentum, I think 
again, there's there could have been a lot more creativity and artistry that that could have still conveyed all those plot points, but maybe we just inherently needed to prioritize certain ones over others. And I I really want to do more research into the book and maybe read this book. Um, <laughs> because, so like, I just, I Googled it really quick. And it's 784 pages long. <laughs> so usually in my experience with Pulitzer's uh that are that long, I don't like them because they're too heavy handed. They're too long. Um, there's been a few that I've read that have been very, very long like that, that have gotten glowing reviews that have won the Pulitzer. And I'm just going, Ugh, you could have cut out hundreds of these pages and it still <laughs> would have been fine. So my guess is that we would still have the same problem with the novel that we do with this movie. Mm. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I guess the the one thing with, with even if with the the seven hundred plus page novel, you have time to step in and step out of it. Um, you kind of have a little bit more choice too of when you're you've had enough for the day and you want to revisit tomorrow. And with the film, you don't really have that choice. I found certain moments in the film just feeling a little bit trapped by by the film and again we can talk about this with pacing because i think a lot of it has to do with this constant steady uh mood and theme um that just feels like this heavy cloud that is never lifted we never get moments to come up for air and i think it made it harder to swallow and it made it just feel a lot heavier than i think it needed to be and some of the heavy moments just felt so exhausting because there wasn't enough contrast with moments where we could feel like there was a little bit of lightness or we were able to breathe a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that it's like a funeral, funeral march through the entire (laughs) constant pace, very slow. (laughs) We're just marching towards the ending. It's very much a dirge. Like you're just Mm -hmm. like plodding along. Um, I think that I didn't mind, uh, being trapped in the art world part of it, even though like you, you really did feel trapped when he was in New York, but I was so annoyed at the being trapped in Las Vegas portion. Mm, I was why like, is that? uh, I think it was just, it was like you were saying, like it was, it was a subplot that we really didn't need to dive into that heavily. Um, And also like, I just, I love art and I love art history. And so like being in more of that, like um, I guess elitist culture where it's surrounded by, you know, these beautiful paintings talking about classical composers, like that's just, I want to, be able to sneak into that world for a little while. That's just so fun. Um, but being with, you know, two teenage boys and, you know, an abusive father and a jacked up mother figure, like that's just not as exciting for me. I don't mm-hmm. really want to spend, I don't know, an hour trapped yeah. there with them. Like it's, it's important to the plot, but I feel like that's where they got stuck. Mm-hmm. And 
I can see how lingering there is really important for the plot and how making you as the viewer even feel stuck can maybe help you empathize with Theo more. But I feel like that went on for way longer than it needed to. Yeah, we we definitely needed some sort of development for Theo and Boris, especially because he comes back at the end. And I think that would have felt less effective if we had zipped through the Las Vegas section. But I, <laughs> I agree, you're, you're right, it does feel a lot longer than it needs to be. We, it's kind of like at a certain point, it's like we get the point. We get that they're bonding. We get that he's introducing him to hard drugs. We get that he's protecting the painting. We get that the father is an sh- awful asshole and this mother figure is also screwed up. Like, it's almost like we, we get it. And I don't know if you had mentioned this at some point in our conversation somewhere. <laughs> but um, at a certain point, this character has suffered so much that to continually yeah. see him just be beaten down by life over and over and over again felt so exhausting and almost felt frustrating to watch. Uh, and I found myself slowly moving from empathy to just being like, this kid, it, it, this is too much for this character to have to continue to get go through struggle after struggle. Like, when is it enough? And again, maybe that's part of the point. I, I kind of checked myself in my mind. I was like, maybe... Maybe we were meant to feel that frustration and that was also an intentional decision with the plot being this slow funeral march towards the end. Um, potentially that's that was the director's way of being able to show how heavy it is to deal with this grief and this cloud from your past continuing to hang over your daily life and, and to kind of give us that um, experience. But, you know, at a certain point, I just kept thinking to myself, God, we're just beating up these characters. It is, like, when is this going to be enough? Yeah, exactly. It was it was exhausting mm-hmm. to watch this little kid get beat up for two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, those, those moments with, um, Andy in the beginning and then Boris in the middle, I think we're supposed to be those, those lifts and mm-hmm. those joyful moments and those moments where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe this kid can be okay as he's coping with this momentous grief and this awful trauma that he's suffered through. Um, but so much of it just, even in those joyful moments, there's still this immense, um, sadness and this immense mm-hmm. heartbreak and going, oh my gosh, this poor child. Mm-hmm. And you just, you, you want to take him and put him in a little protective bubble and just like, okay, here, go somewhere safe. And that is not how this movie works out. Yeah. And I think, frankly, there's, there's a lot of moments in life that do feel that way where you have this moment of sweetness and yet there is this this cloud hanging over it and tainting a lot of it but i think from a filmmaking perspective for us as the viewer to to sit through this 2 hour and 29 minute endeavor <laughs> i i think we needed those moments to feel lighter and again i'm checking myself and maybe that was part of the point that this film is trying to make but it's almost more effective to have those moments be a little bit sweeter, a little bit lighter, and then to see that be ripped away from him again. Um, I, I think we needed, 
I'm imagining this graph in my mind because my brain thinks this way, but it's like this, we go through this steady, constant line, horizontal line on this X, Y, Z, um, axis just going straight across. And I think we needed a little bit more of these highs and lows to make the plot feel a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more lifelike, but also for the heavy moments and the traumatizing moments where he's again ripped away from this place of comfort and joy and love that he's found with this family, I think it would have been more effective. And it's it's almost like we didn't get enough of that contrast for either of those things to land. But the moments with Boris and the moments with Andy, like we needed that to be funnier. I'm trying to think how they could have done that and it not come off as cheesy, cheesy. or yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think that they would have been able to do it. I think that they infused as much humor and as much levity as this heavy story could provide. Mm. I think if they had, I think, I think you're right. I think they needed a bigger contrast, but I think that they couldn't do it with this storyline and it be effective or it feel genuine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because this is one of those moments where there's, there was a trade-off made, uh, and they, they definitely chose <laughs> one of the routes. I, but I, I think you're I think you're right. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a way to and maybe it's not the humor that needed to be infused, but a, some something that felt a little bit sweeter for this kid. I don't know. I just constantly felt like we're just beating up this this character and it almost felt cruel to watch him continuously be beat up. But again, maybe that's the point. I keep coming back to that. (laughs) (laughs) These are my thoughts. I'm like, but again, maybe that's the point. (laughs) Life sucks. Get used to it. Yeah, That's the the point of the goldfinch. (laughs) What's the phrase that Boris said that I... (laughs) I loved. He's like, life, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we had some problems with pacing, but maybe trade-offs were made, and that was a very intentional decision that they made. Um, What did you think about the way that the plot unfolded, where there was this flipping back and forth in time between the moments in the bombing and then... Um, when Theo is older, what were your thoughts on their choices there? And again, potentially, well, I mean, maybe we'll insert this disclaimer. Sarah and I have not read this novel. So potentially that is the way that the novel is telling the story and thus the film has followed suit as well. But in general, how did you think that landed in how the story unfolded? I think it was fine. Like, I don't, I don't know that it, uh, this is a really annoying answer, but I don't know that it either like added a whole lot, but I also don't know that it like really detracted from it. Mm-hmm. I think that it's one way of telling the story. Um, I, I like 
I like it when films, you know, give little bits of information as you go along. And I really appreciate, you know, being able to put those puzzle pieces together and, you know, you're, you're going along and you're thinking, okay, this one thing happened, but in reality, okay, nope, it was this other thing. So I like that, but eh, it was fine. Okay. <laughs> like there was nothing about it that particularly bothered me, but I also didn't love it. I think that mm. there could have been other ways of telling it that would have been just as fine. Um, yeah, it was okay. 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 Yeah, my thoughts on it were that it it was it was effective at the beginning of the film. Um, we get the little moments and little shots of him noticing Pippa, um, the mother walking away. I think that added a lot to help continue to keep us intrigued and to again, like you were saying, piece the details together for us as viewers. And it, it almost felt like I appreciated that I had to work to figure out how these things fit together. And I was invested in learning more about present day Theo or um, younger Theo post the incident to, to learn more and to know more about this character and this event and we it was an easy way for me to be invested I think that as the film continued to progress it was less and less interesting and intriguing to continue to revisit um those scenes at the bombing it's I I almost felt like we were not learning anything more new from this we aren't um nothing new is unfolding Right, like we just continue to go mm -hmm. back and back and back to this moment, um, and it felt a little bit a little bit less effective as the film continued to go on, and so I began to think about while watching this film and seeing us continue to revisit this place, is there a way that that could have been more effective and more intriguing, and in how we structure all of these pieces together? Um, I don't know, but it was a thought that I had because uh, I was thinking of Dunkirk throughout this film where they do, Christopher Nolan does a lot of the same piecing back and forth between events that happened and going back to different moments in time. And every time you go back in time to, um, to a specific scene or a moment, you are, something new has unfolded that helps you understand more about the present or understand more about what happened in the middle between that event and the present. And it really helped drive the plot forward. Um, there was a lot of momentum and it really pushed things um, forward for you as a viewer. And I think I was hoping for something similar for this film as well, but I think it, it was kind of the law of diminishing return as we kept going back. Um, <laughs> The effectiveness just continued to decrease. See, I saw it as him, like, constantly reliving that trauma. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I didn't expect to learn more information um, until the end when they finally, you know, revealed everything so that they could finally end the movie. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I saw it as him living in that moment and living just mm -hmm. he's just stuck in that traumatic event which yeah that makes sense I would be too yeah yeah so potentially it serves that purpose of driving home the point of this is this 
that scene and that moment and that view that he had of his mother walking away was kind of constantly haunting him. I don't know. I, this kind of ties with another thought that I had throughout, um, kind of the half, the second half of this film there, especially when a lot of the characters began to pop up again in these happenstance coincidences, it began to feel a little bit less realistic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think in general, a lot of, uh, components of this premise of the painting and it surviving through all of these moments and it being this little semblance of a miracle and just even a lot of the visuals could have lended itself for this film to to be a little bit more stylized and a little bit more fantastical and I don't mean that in the sense of it being magical but I I was thinking about the way that The Great Gatsby was very stylized and I think it it helped it helped us, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Suspend our disbelief for some of the things that felt unrealistic. And especially when Boris reappeared and Pippa reappears and um, all of these moments that feel a little bit too too unrealistic to actually happen. It's <laughs> like this needed, I, I, was, I was wondering if it would have helped to have things feel more stylized and a little bit more fantastical to help us really buy into that a little bit more because I think it's began to lose me towards the second half when there's all these big um, scenes where Boris and him are going to Amsterdam and they are pulling out these guns and it just it, it kind of began to just lose me a little bit of like this is no longer in the realm of um, realistic possibility so uh, I think in general there's a little bit of the intrigue of um, uh, Hobart and Blackwell and this antique shop that that could have lended itself really well to being fantastical. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, when when Boris showed up, adult Boris showed up, I was like, oh god, no, yeah. this movie's already too long. Just yeah. end it. <laughs> like, I was I was over it. Like um, Pippa showing back up, I I believed that makes sense. Yes, you know she has a connection to Hobie, so okay. I get that. Um, but yeah, when you saw adult Boris, I was like, oh no. And they happen more. to be in the same bar. Like there's, there's, yeah. that happens in life, but. This well, just... and like, how did, how are people recognizing adult Theo Dude. who looks nothing like mini Theo? Like it, that's what I was really confused about. Like when um, Nicole Kidman's son recognized him. And I was like, how in the hell? Did you know that this is the same kid? Like, yeah. No. So that was the first time I called BS. <laughs> and then when Boris showed up, I was just, I was done. I was over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of those plot points, I think, would have been easily forgiven or we wouldn't have thought twice about if this was told in a way that felt a little bit more like a, a story from a... Um, a different time or you know it just if mm-hmm. it felt like it was trying to be realistic as if this could actually happen and a, and a lot of the plot didn't reflect that um there's some really fun 
things they could have done with Hobart and Blackwell and this antique shop and it being kind of like tucked away. And I had this thought, especially when there is the scene unfolding where Theo was um, at the bombing and he was talking to, I think his name was Welty, and he was getting mm-hmm. the ring and Welty was like, go to Hobart and Blackwell. And, um, you know, it's it's all dusty and there's this ring that he gets to this unnamed shop somewhere and I think a lot of that could have lended itself really really well to being this really uh stylized type of moody adventure that he gets to go on um and this new friendship that he is able to create and I think it could have worked a little bit better with a little bit more flair and a little bit more style and um giving us as the viewers the, the ability to suspend our disbelief in a lot of parts. I wish that they would have focused more on the the goldfinch itself. Because um, the, the tagline for the film is the story of a stolen life. And I wish that they would have played on the double meaning of that. Like, because it's not just Theo's life that took this weird turn, but the life of this painting that was, it mm. went on this whole adventure. It was tucked away. It was hidden for so long. Like, I wish that they would have played that up more. Um, I feel like that even would have helped you understand this film just a little bit more, that Theo and this painting are on kind of two parallel tracks. Um, and that might have, I mean, at least for me, I would have been way more interested. Give mm. me more about the art and... I would have been more of a happy camper. Yeah, and I think with that, they would also be able to communicate um, more subtly about Theo's grief. And I think a big theme throughout a lot of this or a a parallel that was made is that Theo is kind of holding on to this painting, not because of the painting itself, but more um, it's his mother's favorite painting. It kind of represents Mm -hmm. her. He wants to protect the memory of her and um, protect that relationship that he had with her. And I think they could have conveyed a lot of his grief and um, his love for his mother in in more subtle ways by using the painting as a metaphor. And they do a little bit of that with some of the shots of him really holding the painting close or constantly going back to to touch it and to be with it again. Uh, but you're, I think you're very right. They could have gone a little bit more down that path and included a little bit of, and I, I, the thing is there, there could have been so much um, artistic creativity that they could have done with the filmmaking of a lot of those components um, if they'd gone a little bit farther down that path as well. Gosh, just more missed opportunities. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking a, a lot about the, kind of this combination of The Great Gatsby, The Man from Uncle, and Kingsman. And <laughs> that, that stylized look and feel and filmmaking, I think ugh, I just can't, I can't get that in my mind as something that could have really helped this feel, I think, visually interesting and um, from a cinematic perspective been really exciting for us a really like a feast for our eyes and um they just there could have been more done 
but a lot of it was played, I think, a, a lot more safe. And I think, and I know that this is just my personal preference because I'm a strange person, but when when he was in New York, I, I loved those shots. I loved uh, Nicole Kidman's house. I loved how they put everything together. Like, everything seemed um, to be done with such detail um, with, with that, with, um, Hobie's workshop, like even Pippa's room was beautiful. Like there was so much intentionality with those New York sets and I absolutely loved it. And so then the, the contrast of going to Las Vegas, which hello, it is just like pretty much every Southwest town (laughs) that Mm -hmm. you could go to. Um, I think that contrast was really well done. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, the New York parts really didn't need a whole lot more. I feel like those were great, but then it's hard to make, um, you know, the, the (laughs) suburbs, the outskirts of dead desert seem fantastic and wonderful. And I think that's the point is Mm -hmm. it sucks. You got nothing to do. You got one friend. You're out in the boonies. What are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to drink and do drugs and get into trouble. Like, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So I think I think if the pacing and the story had been on time, then we wouldn't have this problem. I think, I think that the style would have been fine because there would have been more New York and less of Las Vegas. Mm. Yeah, I think that... That makes a lot of sense. You're right. The contrast um, was very much needed, especially this kid that wears like blazers, tweed blazers, and <laughs> yeah, with horn-rimmed glasses. Um, and you see that he is out of place in Las Vegas, and that was very much the point. Very much effective. And you're right. The pacing I think contributes to it because we're just there for too long. And it feels too too much. So uh, yeah, definitely agree. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the ending, specifically that scene where Theo is talking to Boris. And Boris said something along the lines of, we've done a lot of bad things, but potentially this is the universe's way of making good things come out of our bad things. Had we not gone to Amsterdam and... um, tried to get the painting back and guilt those people like maybe the the painting would not have been discovered again and internally i was like i i can see what you're trying to say here like there's this this desire to um take a little bit of the guilt and the shame off of his back but at the same time i don't think that that is totally morally sound. (laughs) So I'm curious your thoughts on that scene and um, how you received that. Uh, With that scene, I was, I was still bothered uh, by the fact that Boris took Theo out into the freezing cold without a coat on. (laughs) Like I I was still stuck on that by the time we got to this scene. Uh, So I, I was, I was still yelling at Boris for not being more attentive to his friend when he was attending to his friend. 
Um, but yeah, that's very much like a, the end justifies the means kind of rationale. And I think that's really, really problematic thinking. Um, and I, I love the idea of, um, like, okay, we, we rescued all of these paintings. They're, they're going to be seen by people. Like, I absolutely adore that because art is meant to be shared with the world. And that is so important. But I think the way that they got to that point is way too convoluted Mm -hmm. and really, really messed up. Like you, I mean, you shouldn't be doing all of the things that you're doing and then go, Oh, we saved a few classic paintings. They are incredible paintings that need to be seen, but one doesn't justify the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure if if we were meant to feel that dissonance um, and we were meant to understand that as a way that the, these characters that have just been through hell and back are trying to find some moment of comfort together and to ease their guilt and their shame and just to ease the internal demons that they're fighting against Uh, or if the film is is trying to show that there is indeed good that comes out of our bad i i would like to assume the former and that it's meant to be these characters are just trying to find some moment of peace together but i it was a little bit questionable um and if it is indeed the latter there's a little bit of some warped um, morality that the film concludes with at the end. Yeah, I definitely read it as the latter, um, which I think I think that they took a good thing and then they just they they went too far. Like it's mm-hmm. um, it, it makes me think of a completely different genre. Um, oh. how inside out is all uh-huh. about how there's always a twinge of sadness, even with your happiness. And like, that's okay. And that's like part of the beauty of life. And so it, it felt like they were trying to do something, you know, profound and wonderful, like inside out did. Um, but they just didn't. And, and unfortunately, like you don't see growth in these characters. Yes. So you don't, you don't want to, or at least I didn't want to excuse their actions. Like Mm. these two people have been through hell and back and that is awful. And they suffered through crazy traumatic experiences that nobody should have to go through. But in my mind, that still doesn't excuse your behavior. And so I, I like you really, really struggled with that ending, but by that time, I just needed the movie to be over. So, like, <laughs> whatever. You can have your jacked-up way of thinking. Please let me get out of this theater. Mm. Yeah. I think the biggest problem that I had with it as well is that there, hypothetically, the film doesn't end. These characters continue on into, into their lives. There was no moment of growth or of a changed perspective or a changed mentality. And so if the conclusion is what we've done will somehow the universe will correct it in some way. There's there, it almost felt hopeless for these characters as they go on to 
to their futures because they will continue to fall back into these destructive mentalities. They'll find themselves in um, really difficult, destructive situations again. Like it, there was no sense of these characters having conquered um, their demons or finding even a little glimmer of ways to to reconcile the trauma again that no one should have ever gone through but there was there was nothing that felt hopeful for their futures and their abilities to make better decision decisions or their abilities to calm and appease their demons like there there was none of that at the end and so you're right you did feel like the film ended and we we kind of are at the same place that we were when we started um and that for, for a two hour and a half film <laughs> I felt very unproductive <laughs> and you just helped me piece together why for a long chunk of the film like I kept comparing it to The Catcher in the Rye mm-hmm. which I have not read since like 10th grade English so my recollection of the story is rusty at best but um Theo's character so reminded me of um, Holden Caulfield just wanting to be an adult and wanting to like numb his pain with all of these other things and wanting to appear so much more than he is and like ignoring the deep hurt and deep insecurity within him. And now that like you just said all of that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, well, of course you were thinking about catcher in the ride the entire time. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, the two characters deal with their issues very, very differently. And the both stories are incredibly different from one another, but the characters of Holden and Theo are kind of similar in some ways, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. I, I was thinking of that a, a lot throughout and the root desire is just being kind of covered up and numbed throughout in so many different ways. Um, whether it was through the hard drugs, um, the possibility of a romance that, hold up, let's pause here for a second. What were your thoughts on Pippa and Theo's relationship? Did you think it was legit? Do you think it was just kind of, um, them sharing this traumatic experience and feeling this bond? I'm, yeah. I'm in the camp of the latter. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. um, I think because they both moved away, that's why I had to call BS. Because it's like, okay, you two have not seen each other consistently yeah. over the course of your lives. So how can you have this strong bond with each other? Like, I think, and, and I love... Um, I really actually enjoyed the character of Pippa. I think that she was a a pretty well-rounded character for as, you know, short of a time that we got to know her. And I love the, the wisdom and the courage that she had to say no to him. Um, and and to understand, yeah, to, (laughs) that she understood that their relationship was born out of that trauma. Um, and her having the foresight to go, no, this would be a super unhealthy thing. I can't do this. I'm going to choose health. <laughs> yes, I loved that as well. When she said something along the lines of, if one of us goes down, yeah. we would bring the other down with us. Yeah, That is 
that takes a lot of of wisdom to be able to to understand that and to pinpoint that and then voice that so clearly loved her character um and i think she also brought a level of warmth that we really needed um she felt of all the characters the most the most alive the most yeah i I don't know how to describe it but the most like filled with life and passion and um pain but also Mm -hmm. this this hope for the future and really trying to invest and and build something better from herself while still having the the complexities of um not being able to play music again or even going to a concert and feeling the pain like she was so well-rounded and um was definitely I don't know how to describe it other than she was the most filled with life of all kinds both good and bad I think she was the only character yeah that that chose to take this pain this traumatic experience and not let it define her mm-hmm. I think everybody else in the story or at least every significant character in the story like they they let their trauma define them mm-hmm. and that's who they were and she was the only one that was like nope I'm not going to do that and and the nuance with which they did that character for her to not be sitting in it but also she didn't suppress or numb her pain yes. like that oh my gosh I loved that scene um when they were in the theater and she yes. was just crying and it was so beautiful and so profound that that you can love something so much even if it's still this deep-rooted sense of pain like mm. and she was willing to put herself through that because she still loves music even though it takes her back to this trauma like oh there was so much in that whole scene and there was so much lacking in the rest of the entire movie (laughs) yeah and she went to London and Mm -hmm. was choosing a better life for herself without running away from it which is typically what I think what you see with a lot of characters in similar situations is that they move away to try and avoid and forget about it. Um, But she was so willing to acknowledge that she made that decision because she didn't want to be reminded of it, but that she could still clearly articulate her pain and could balance the combination of acknowledging what had happened, but choosing something better. So good. Yeah, she was a great character. Mm-hmm. She was the have, MVP of this movie. And she, she's not on screen for the majority of it. She's actually on screen very, very little. Yeah. And she was such a powerful character. Like, mm-hmm. man, could we have could we have followed Pippa? Because that would have been a lot more a fun. <laughs> Just kidding. No, Goldfinch please, too. no more. No more. <laughs> One was enough. One was more than enough. <laughs> So I'm curious, what type of folks were in the audience at your theater? (laughs) I'm so curious. Um, Well, I went to the earliest showing. Uh, 
So it was me uh-huh. and two older people. And in that the whole is theater? it in the entire theater. Oh there was goodness. only three of us. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I typically when I go to see a film, I'm I'm excited for when the previews have bright white or bright colors on it because that means I can see who's in the audience. <laughs> And I will often walk a little slower just to see if I can catch a glimpse because it's always really fascinating. Uh, my theater had a total of 10. Wow. Uh, well, I saw a Sunday night showing of this. And I would say the average age of the theater was about the average age that you see at the opera. <laughs> Very much around mm, an average age of like 60. And I, I'm... I bring that average down a lot <laughs> with my outliers. So it was, I was thinking about, um, as I sat down before the, the film even started, who the target audience for this film is because it didn't do well in the box office at all. In fact, it was pr- pretty disastrous opening. Um, I think the premise itself is already going to detract so many people it's the weather's getting colder we're entering a busy season school's starting like who wants to see a film uh about a terrorist bombing in new york city at the met and then a young child's um process of grieving i mean it's i went into this knowing that it wasn't going to be an enjoyable experience and i had to mentally prepare myself for it so um, I think there's a kind of a general trend that some folks are um, hypothesizing that moody dramas like this are just kind of doomed from the beginning. But I don't think that's the case. I, I think this one is one that um, had a lot that would inherently detract a lot of folks. But, I mean, I don't think moody dramas need to be a thing of the past but alas this one didn't help that hypothesis in any way (laughs) no it did not and just just the idea of the met and this you know Uh, like high art world this art history emphasis like that's not for everybody but it also wasn't this like intellectual film so you're right. Like it's kind of, it doesn't cleanly fit into an audience really. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you are a literature nerd who loved the goldfinch, which many, many people did because it was on the New York uh, times bestseller list for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I think they were relying on that and the fact that it was so popular for so long but the hard part about that is the book is always better than the movie. Mm. And so that's, if I had read the book, I probably would have been reluctant to go see this movie. So I think that they had just bet on certain groups showing up and they just, they bet wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, would this film have been more effective to just be released on streaming directly. Like this inherently, so many components of it are not going to draw a crowd Mm -hmm. um, in theaters. And can this just 
I, I wonder what the thought process and the rationale was um, for to choose to have it be a theater release because I'm sure that they went back and forth deciding on how this would be distributed. I appreciated seeing it in the theater only for the score. Mm -hmm. I, I loved the score. I could listen to that over and over and over and over again. Um, but I think other than that, I could have been perfectly content to just stream that on my little laptop. Yes. And I would have been okay. Yes. <laughs> Me as well. And then I could have taken breaks. <laughs> oh, for sure. And <laughs> it's interesting because this film was... I think it opened the same weekend as The Hustlers. Mm -hmm, it did. Which, I mean, take two films that could be more uh, opposites. You've got one, one really fun comedic romp about strippers, and you've got one incredibly moody drama <laughs> about art history based on a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Like, and there's a clear winner from this mm -hmm. round of this fight. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, from a marketing perspective as well, uh, I mentioned I was going to see this film to a lot of uh, friends or just, you know, the question of what are you doing this weekend? And not a single one had heard of it. And yet I did get many questions of, hey, are you going to go see The Hustlers? Do you want to see The Hustlers? So Me too. Yeah. Like, it seemed like at work, everybody was talking about this movie. And quite honestly, I had not heard of Hustlers. So <laughs> I was just way behind, but I always am. Um, and you're right. The I, I talked to one person uh, and they knew the Goldfinch because they had seen a preview for it while they were streaming something on Amazon. Mm. That's the only reason why they even had some faint recollection of the name. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, J-Lo definitely probably helps uh, The Hustler oh, yeah. with the marketing. But, I mean, it, The Goldfinch is not this super obscure indie drama. I mean, if, it's also got some great star power behind it um, with Nicole Kidman and Ansel Elgort. And I just... I was surprised that it was completely obsolete and not a single person had heard about it. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was the star power that intrigued me. I mean, yeah. when you see Nicole Kidman and Sarah Paulson in a movie together, I'm like, yes, please. I'll watch that. Yeah. And, you know, now I kind of regret my choice, but that's fine. Hey, we saw it. We needed to see it. Can we also just take a minute to talk about Sarah Paulson's character? Oh my gosh. The last time I saw Sarah Paulson was in Glass. Yeah. <laughs> and she came on screen and I was shook because I could not believe it was the same human. It was great. She was fantastic. I loved every bit of her. Yeah, she did. That was an incredible transformation. Oh for my her. God. And I loved great. the way that, that her and Luke Wilson played off each other. And I mean, I was surprised by him too, because he's, he's usually like the good guy. And yes. so to see them both have these transformations was very enjoyable to watch. It was awesome. He was really great as well. They, they made the Las Vegas sequence a little bit more bearable. 
Yeah. I have to say, it was really awesome to see Nicole Kidman just absolutely pierce the screen and every shot that she was in. My gosh, she played that character of being so... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She was so closed off and remote and yet you could tell that there was this level of care that she had for the boy. And I think that dissonance and that subtlety was really well done by her. I was I was very impressed. I also loved seeing all of her outfits that she showed up in. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> um, but I think she did a great job as well. Yeah, I love that we were able to see her shine and and see just how phenomenal of an actress she is in Mm -hmm. such a subtle way and in such a complex character. Um, Yeah, I wanted so much more of her. (laughs) Yes, yeah. And then I think especially seeing um, her in her older form in the second half of the film, and you could could really see this level of... um, of warmth that I think she didn't have in the earlier parts, this uh, little bit of being able to put her guard down a little bit more to, to no longer feel the pressure of being the stately woman that she felt in her younger years. And it was really neat to see the way that her character's aging had influenced her demeanor. And you see her represent that really well um, in the way that she played the older version of... What was her name? Mrs. Barber. And I think there's even like a a deeper complexity to that of she had nothing left to lose. Mm -hmm. So she didn't have to keep up the facade and she could be more of her true self by the end Um, because there was nobody left to impress. Her husband was gone. One of her sons was gone. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, she's just going to live her life now. Yeah. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to call out? I did want to call out another moment where I was, as Jen would say, shook. Uh, (laughs) Because when they, when he unwrapped the quote unquote painting finally, Ah, and it was a civics book, I had to take a minute because I am 93% certain that that is the exact same civics book that I <gasps> used when I was in eighth grade. No, no so, way. I was just sitting there going, oh my God, <laughs> they, they used the correct civics book. How did they know? <laughs> did, you, did you also keep it in a uh, storage center wrapped in many layers of newspaper with your hard drugs, Sarah? <laughs> See, no, I did not. I also did not, um, you know, hold it close to me in moments of grief on my floor. I I had a very different relationship with my civics (laughs) book when I was in eighth grade. Like you opened it and read from it and studied it? you know, when you had to. Like when the teacher said, (laughs) open your book to page, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. I mean, But I was just just shocked that they used the civics book that I used. (laughs) And it's a very distinct design of the civics book with the bright red. So I don't doubt that that probably was the same one. It's not like it's a generic one. You probably would have remembered the bright red and the way Mm -hmm. that it was laid out, you know, like. 
Interesting. Well, that's Interesting. The, uh, they did the their educational, research. Yeah, the education system in the Southwest was uh, was pretty consistent between Las Vegas and Tucson. Who knew? The attention to detail. Look at that. That is so funny. So, <laughs> so that whole scene that. is meant to be this like really emotional moment for him, and you're just like, that's my civic book. I was like, I was racking because I saw it and I was like, was that my civics book? And I was trying to like recall, I don't remember eighth grade. Who, who does when you enter into adulthood, but like, it looked so familiar. I'm, I'm so certain that that was the same civics book that we used. Please stalk yourself in your previous life, (laughs) whether it's photos, go through old things. I'm so intrigued now. But I love, I've just, it's funny that in this, the climactic moment of the mm-hmm. entire film yep. was entirely lost on you by this small yep. coincidence. I was completely distracted. <laughs> I was also over the movie at this point in time. So yeah. it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I think about like an hour and a half in, I was like, this is, I, I'm going to have to strap my seatbelt in and make sure I sit in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> This one lady in front of me was like squirming in her seat a little bit. She kept readjusting and leaning forward, <laughs> leaning back. It was it was really funny. All right. Well, this was our review of The Goldfish. It is um, out in theaters. I think it'll be out in theaters probably for the next couple of weeks. It just was released. We typically say we recommend this film or we don't recommend this film. I think this is one that... It's interesting to watch to see the choices that they made, um, especially if you read the book. It'd be probably pretty fascinating to see how they've represented this. Um, but as Sarah and I talked about through our review of it, there was a lot of um, heavier moments and difficult, <laughs> uh, difficult sequences to get through. So. Um, it's a long film. Prepare yourself for two hours and a half of it. Uh, but there's some really great things that the film did and a lot of potential. So um, go and see the bits that worked really well, the acting that was fantastic, the score that was fantastic. Um, and then pick apart the other parts and think about maybe how or what you may have explored differently as we have. So we will see you next week with another episode. Um, In the meantime, infuse a little whimsy into your life. Do something just for the sake of it, just because you love it. This is our little strategic whimsy experiment, um, and we will see you soon.